When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast. And Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General. Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, bonus episode of the Utopia Football Podcast after a scintillating, exciting, exuberant Night one of the NFL draft last night over at Miller Outdoor Theater here in Houston. I would imagine over at the stadium and at places that have Houstonians anywhere around town. Pretty fired up about what the Texans did in the first day of the draft. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610. Joined by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, senior Texans columnist for SportsRadio610.com and GallerySports.com. John McClain and uh, John, let's get right to it. What was going through your head as you were watching those 10 minutes unfold on Thursday night that began with the Texans doing what you had been saying they need to do, take a quarterback with the second pick and then making a bold, expensive move from 12 up to three to take Will Anderson. The city's a buzz with the Texans and somebody told me the Phillies are actually in town for a rematch of the World Series. Hadn't heard anything about that. Uh, it's amazing. I, I On a column I have on uh, sportsradio610.com, you know, this was somebody asked me how this compared to Deshaun Watson. I said, when Watson was drafted, they're coming off a division title, a playoff victory, and they moved up to 12 to get him. And nobody even thought right then he was going to be the answer. And so that didn't compare. The only time I could ever think of a time in which something was as big as Nick Casario taking Stroud, the quarterback people thought. He wouldn't take and then dealing back up to the third pick and taking Will Anderson, not only the best defensive prospect, but a lot of people had him as the best prospect overall over Bryce Young. Once Jalen Carter's off the field issues came up and so they get those second best quarterback and and the best defensive prospect. The other time, 1978, uh, Bum Phillips traded the first pick into Tampa Bay uh, to get um, the first pick so he could draft Earl Campbell. And Earl at the time was already a Texas institution, state championship in high school, Heisman Trophy with the Longhorns. And so when they, and they didn't mess around, they told people what they were doing. And they paid a pretty good price to get him. And as you can imagine back then, people went bonkers to get Earl Campbell and keep him in the state. But this one, considering the sad state of the Texans, uh, the way they've been the last three years, and the fact that most people, and I got to give guys at the Chronicle uh, credit, they had Stroud, I had Tyree Wilson, Edge Rusher, they had it pegged, I didn't, I didn't think they were going to draft him, and when they did, and I, and I, even in the press box where you can't cheer, people were excited, mm. and then when they're like, and I was doing a broadcast for Odyssey with uh, Jason Lockett and Brian Baldinger while we were talking about 
C.J. Stroud, and then Brian Bollinger goes, well, I, I, I think the Texans may have traded back up to three. And I thought, hmm, Daniel Jeremiah had that last night exactly. Did. And the next time I see Daniel Jeremiah say something about the Texans, I'll pay close attention because he obviously has got an in with them to, to put that in his mock draft. That's not the kind of thing you just pull out of the air. Yeah. And so props to him. But when they traded back up, I thought right then it's going to be – I don't know why I thought it was going to be Will Anderson over Tyree Wilson, but everybody started saying, it's Will Anderson. They're going to take Will Anderson. And then when they did, uh, you know, there's no cheering in the press box, but, boy, people were excited. And when they got to Casario's news conference at 9 o'clock, thank you, Nick, for doing it early, not waiting until the first round was over, uh, there was there was a buzz in the press conference room. It was just so exciting for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since since people have had a reason to get excited like that. I mean, like like that, like it was last night. And and I think you bringing up the media part of it too. I mean, there is something about covering a team that's relevant and doing things, making big moves. Um, my contention this morning, John, right out of the shoot on Payne and Pendergast was those ten minutes last night. From the time C.J. Stroud's name was announced through the the aftermath of Will Anderson getting announced, well, it, the whole thing was about ten or twelve minutes because they 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 picked Stroud pretty quickly, used the whole ten minutes to get the trade done and so forth for Anderson. So ten fifteen minutes that was the best ten minutes or so the Texan fans have had since overtime of the Buffalo game. I don't think that's a reach at all uh, to say that it just as an individual moment goes. Um, it was I was there at the draft party. And it was it was crazy. You know, I, I kind of the, the Miller Outdoor Theater, John, I know you've been there before, I'm sure. But I was standing kind of at the back of the lower part, you know, the part that's shaded, the part that's underneath the overhang there. Kind of stood at the back of that on the edge of where the grass starts just to observe and kind of watch what the reaction would be. And as Bryce Young is getting picked by Carolina, you can't help but have the memory coming back of, man, if they just lost to the Colts, this would have been us right here. And think about what that celebration would have sounded like if they were drafting CJ or if they were drafting Bryce Young first overall. And it really felt like a, uh, a, a an empty moment in some ways, watching Bryce Young get drafted. And I'm thinking to myself, but I hope they do something here at two that gets people excited. And not only did they do it at two, they did it at three also. And that just, the sequence of CJ Stroud getting picked, the excitement of that, which was, it was, def there was definitely excitement. Um, and, and then I went down from where I was standing. I went down, Amy and her parents were sitting in the third row. And so I went down to go celebrate with them and see what it was like down close to the stage. And as we're celebrating, Amy's mom shows me her phone and she's got a text message open from somebody. She's like, the Texans are picking third. And I'm like, no, Jolyn, they just picked second. They just picked, you know, like I was <laughs> totally mansplaining to my mother-in-law. She's like, well, I have this text that says they're picking third. I'm like, no, they, it's, I don't know what you're talking about. Next thing you know, Ian Rappaport is up on the movie screen talking about this huge trade. I do apologize to my mother-in-law for being a jerk. And then um, they, when the, when the trade got announced, the what was already a buzz in the Miller Outdoor Theater, it turned into people going from standing to standing on seats, you know, to confetti already coming out. And that, I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I felt that about the Texans, where everybody, you didn't feel, as you pointed out, John, like the Desha Deshaun Watson getting drafted by the Texans and trading up was a big deal. It wasn't this. Like, this was a sign of just a change in mentality 
with the organization. To me, it was a sign that they really feel like they want to go start winning. Let's, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. Let's do this thing. And um, I give them credit. Now, they paid a high price, John. And what did you think of that? What did you think of the, the price they paid they, to move up nine spots? They gave up the 33rd pick this year, their first round pick next year, still have Cleveland's, and a third round pick next year. And they got a four in return. They still got a four. have their picks in the first and second round next year. I saw a couple of income poops who gave them less than an A because they said they gave up too much. They didn't give up too much to get top defensive player in the draft. You don't have guarantee you're going to get that kind of player next year. And uh, I didn't think anything about it because they had a lot of draft capital. They still have 10 picks in this draft, getting with two in the third round, two in the fourth. And uh, they can still get some players. Damian Pierce came in the fourth last year. i tell you something that blows me away is how clueless some people are about how this team operates. I say that all the time, but I saw one person write that Cal McNair was getting more involved and taking control, and that's not the way they do it. Then I saw somebody else say, Cal McNair forced the trade. Give me a break. Cal McNair listens. He wants to know what's going on, as does Anna McNair. And they let Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans make the picks. They tell them what they're going to do, and they say, fine, whatever you think. That's why we pay you the big bucks. And then I had two people say, I'm hearing in the NFL, D'Amico Ryans has final say. And I'm like, how many times do I have to tell you Casario has in his contract, he has final say. D'Amico shouldn't have final say after two seasons as a coordinator. They work closely together. They have great respect for each other. And Casario tries to do what D'Amico wants. If he forced D'Amico to take a player, D'Amico wouldn't blame. He has control of the game day roster. So I'm just amazed at how clueless some people are. But that's enough of that rant. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's frustrating because people like to speak that into truth as well. They start talking about it and then they start talking about it as if it's actuality. And I would say too, like, uh, not to spend too much time on this, but my whole thing with that is like, okay, we've got a five-year body of work now to watch Cal McNair operate publicly. You know, you've known him for a long, long time privately, which that I'm sure helps you have an even clearer opinion on it. But does he strike you as somebody that's telling the general manager what to do? Of course he does. He wouldn't even try to act like he he was a football expert. I see David Tepper out front. He's in every news conference. He's out going to all the scouting things with his wife, and that's fine. That's not the way the McNairs operate. And Cal McNair actually took over the team in 2017 yeah. and 18 because – uh, his dad was undergoing treatment, severe treatment for cancer that killed him in November of 2018. So Cal oversaw the show and he left the people run it, which was a mistake with Bill O'Brien and then Jack Easterby. He let them do it. Now, when they think somebody needs to be fired, you know, and the Casario thinks they need to be fired, they'll sign off on that. When change needs to be made, they'll make changes. But right now they deserve a lot of credit. And Casario deserves a lot of credit, no matter how much of a killjoy he tried to be last night. I was saying, these guys haven't done anything, blah, blah, blah. Uh, John, did you expect anything differently from Nick last night? No, I didn't. But sometimes you think, I asked him, I said, you're going to show some, did you show teeth? And I think he didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> and uh, hopefully uh, Omar Masubi, our PR guy, said something 
remind him is because of Damien Pierce's yeah. Because Sario even showed teeth. Showed all 32, he said. All yeah, I knew I, I knew yeah. Mr. Nick was happy because he was showing all 32. <laughs> yep. He um, should have been showing all 32 last night. Well, did you see the video the from the war room, John, when they completed the trade? Have you seen yeah. that video yet? I mean, yeah. Nick was Nick can Nick can can kind of play it off like he doesn't get all emotional like that. He knows he he lives in an era now where they're filming everything in the war room and half of it shows up on the team's website. So if you're going to fake it publicly at the press conference, you better just live up the gimmick and fake it in the war room too while you're at it, Nick. Um, so I was, I was happy for him. I was happy for D'Amico. Um, you know, that's uh, really, since they hired D'Amico, it just feels so, you know, feels so different right now. John, at the, at the draft party last night, obviously a lot of the business people are out there. You know, Greg Grissom is working the room out there at the draft party and, a lot of the people in the ticket office and marketing are out there as well. Um, it's just, man, I'm those are the people I think I'm most happy for, the ones who kind of toil in anonymity behind the scenes, but whose lives are just as, if not more, miserable because of certain people who had been in the building before. You know, like it's one thing you toil, but you're getting paid a six or seven figure salary to toil while people are screwing things up behind the scenes. It's another thing to be working in the ticket office or something like that. And your life is being made miserable. It's really how I'm, I'm really happy. They have a lot of good people in that building, John. I'm happy to they see do, them experiencing success because they got to sell the product. And yep. It's been hard to sell the product. And since they hired D'Amico now with these top two picks, it's going to be a whole lot easier. No doubt. No doubt. Um, hey, real quick, John, just the players themselves. I know we're all super fired up, just quarterback, edge rusher, the way they went about it. Um, what are your thoughts on CJ Stroud and Will Anderson just as players? Like, how soon do you think there's an impact? And specifically, Stroud, he's starting week one, right? I mean, regardless of how things go in training camp, they got to throw him into the fire right away, don't they? No, they should. They may, they may not. They could have yeah. thrown Sean Watson in there and it took him a half to figure it out. <laughs> I would imagine he'll be the starter if he's not ready for some reason. He just he's just 21 years old. You know, some of these quarterbacks are 24 and 25, and he admitted he's young. He's going to make mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I work my tail off to be a franchise quarterback. They, D'Amico has told us it's important. He wants guys who are going to work hard. He wants guys that are talented, of course, but character is important to him. It's important to them. I didn't think for a minute they would have ever taken Jalen Carter with his off-the-field issues. But uh, And Will Anderson – he was here for three days during the Rotary Lombardi banquet in early December. And I was uh, made a presentation and Mattress Mac and I were watching him and we were so impressed with him. Everybody that came in contact with Will Anderson Jr. during the Lombardi banquet was so impressed with him. And he's uh, they're both mama's boys and they'll admit it. And I think that they're going to be a credit to Houston to have them because they're such high character besides being blessed. You know, he's a pure edge rusher. He stood up in a three, four. Now he'll drop down. Sometimes they may let him stand up. The fact is he'll line up wide off the tackle shoulder, just fly to the quarterback and he's going to be fun to watch. No doubt. No doubt. Um, all right, John, let's get into real quick rapid fire here on a few other storylines that um, impact the Texans and we're making uh, waves last night and going into tonight, we're recording this Friday, kind of mid-afternoon Friday. So there's about a three or four hour window where you guys can listen to this maybe in your car on the way home. 
uh, you're listening to it, where some of the stuff we're about to talk about may be obsolete, but I want to get our names on some things here. But first, just looking back, what did you think about Anthony Richardson going to the Colts at four? Uh, there was all that talk about Will Levis. I did two Indianapolis talk shows this week, and they both thought Will Levis was the guy. They're going to have to give Anthony Richardson time to develop. That's a huge chance for somebody picking that high. But if once Stroud was gone, I guarantee you that screwed up their best laid plans, and hopefully it'll work out. Yep. Um, and then uh, as far as in the division, also the Titans taking a tackle slash guard in Peter Skaronsky. They had a chance at Will Levis right there, John. He'd been tied to the Titans quite a bit, Will Levis, through these mock drafts. What did you think about what the Titans did at 11? They've got a guy, you can put him in there and he'll play from day one. I've watched scouting reports of him talking about how technically sound he is. You know, he's physical, he's mean with a name like Skaronsky. His grandpa started at right tackle opposite Forrest Gregg for multiple Packer championships under Lombardi. So I thought he was a really good pick to replace Taylor Lewan. Yeah, nothing says Nashville like the last name Skaronsky, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we mentioned Will Levis' name a couple times, so we should mention it here. Now, by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, Will Levis has probably been drafted, I think, maybe, I don't know. Dropped all the way out of the first round. I did see some people, a few people, saying they thought that might happen. My big Will Levis prediction, John, the past couple weeks has been that Hendon Hooker would get drafted before Will Levis, which is still possible because they're both still on the board. Um, how surprised are you that you and I are sitting here talking on Friday afternoon and Will Levis is available? And when do you think he goes off the board tonight? I'm stunned that both those quarterbacks are available. I thought they'd go in the first round. There's word spreading that Levis had a toe problem. Well, he did have a toe injury. That's probably put out by his agent. He left Kansas City and went home. Of the players there who didn't get drafted, I understand Brian Branch, the Alabama safety, is the only one who stayed. And I uh, hope he gets drafted high in the second round. Levis and Hooker, it wouldn't surprise me if the Titans don't get one of them. And what we talked about before, all the AFC South teams getting, we thought, first-round quarterbacks. But, hey, if they got if, if you got Stroud and Richardson and Levis or Hooker, that's going to be so much fun to watch the division and see how they compete against Trevor Lawrence. So so Levis went home, you said, John. That's what they said. On okay. Okay. Yeah. We uh we I I didn't know that. Uh I don't know if uh when we were doing the show this morning, I was not aware of that. We actually got into a bit of a back and forth towards the end of the show, me, Seth, and John Lopez about what would you do if you were Will Levis? I said if I were Will Levis's dad, I'd tell him to stay at the draft, man. You came to the I draft to be introduced on the stage. I think it looks weak when you just bolt out of town. Gut it out, you know, say all the right things, then say I'm going to do like Jalen Hurts. Shock the world. Be a second-round pick and shock the world, and for like two minutes – I make more money than any quarterback in history. That's right. That's right. Um, John, any other names on the list of players heading into Friday night that that uh, you're a little surprised are still out there? Michael Mayer, I know I didn't see any mock draft anywhere, whether it was by a former NFL general manager that Mayer going in the second round. Everybody thought he was going in the first. I think I had six players going in the first round that didn't. There's going to be some talent flying off the board in the second round and just about every position. And, you know, Philadelphia got a defensive tackle, Jalen Carter, defensive end, Noah Smith. Uh, that uh, I think it was uh, 
Micah Parsons said he wanted to throw up because he's going to see them playing for the Eagles. Eagles yeah. running back. But there were an Jameer Gibbs going at 12 to the Lions after they tr traded. Uh, that shocked a lot of people. I had him going to Buffalo in the first round, but people are stunned. But when you lose a running back that scored 17 touchdowns and your wide receiver, your most talented wide receiver suspended for the first six games, you got to do something. Yep. Uh, all right, John. So by the time some people are listening to this, the second round may have started, but I'll, I'm going to get on the record right now, and I'm going to guess you, you'll agree with me. Sure, the Texans traded the 33rd pick last night. They've got picks 65 and 73 as of right now tonight. I think it's a lock. Nick Casario is going to use some of those eight picks that he has on day three to move one, if not both, of those third-round picks up into the second round at some point. I think he's got 10 right now. and yep. uh, Well, and 10 total, but he's got two in the third. I'm saying eight on yeah. day three, yeah. And I think that there's a good chance. He mentioned it last night, didn't say he would, just said it's all possible. I wish he would trade in there and either get a receiver or a center. There's so many wide receivers who can run and seem to be getting smaller. I would take a center that you could start immediately. They have John Mechie, who's back on the practice field, like an extra two. And uh, I would get the other one would be a wide receiver, especially one who could run and puts uh, stretch the defense, get those two positions in the one in the second with a trade up and another one in the third. I don't care if he's got a trade next year, right now, next year, he's got nine picks. Um, I think he needs a wide receiver and a center more than anything. Yep, I agree with you. I, I think he winds up with at least one second-round pick tonight. That's what they did last year, John. They traded up from the top of the third round. They moved up 20 spots to get John Mechie the third. You know, they moved up to go get Nico Collins a couple years ago. Like, that's a part of the draft. Nick's done two drafts so far, two full drafts. In both drafts, he's moved up 20 spots. I think he went from 109 to 89 to get Nico. He went from 64 to 44 to get Mechie. So tonight, John, he is going to move up from 65 to 45 to draft a wide receiver. It's a tradition like no other at the draft, John. Nick Casario moving up 20 spots on day two to draft a wide receiver. I like it when he gets rid of the seventh-round picks so we don't have to wait him out and we can go home and work at home uh, without staying up through the, through the end of the draft. Trade that Mr. Irrelevant. Don't make us wait till the last one, although there is – a mystique that comes with that. Yeah, uh, you can't wait to see who it is, especially in light of Brock Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant yeah. last year and doing such a good job. That's right. He made Mr. Irrelevant great again. That's right. Um, John, what do you what do you got going on? I feel like you and I have done so many podcasts this week. And as soon as I ask you what you got going on, you got five more things going on. Probably once people are listening to this, I have a column I put up this morning on uh, SportsRadio610.com with Nick talking about those players and the trade. And uh, I have a column where I've got a column up on gallerysports.com as well. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do a lot of uh, things after the draft and during the draft, because people are so fired up. I don't think we can do too much. Yep. I would agree with that. Well, John, I think the next one we do will probably be on Monday when we look back at the entirety of the weekend for the Texans and where they go from here. Mini camp will be here before we know it. Training camp after that. Um, we've said all year, all year long, John, coming into this offseason, this has a chance to be the most exciting offseason in Texans history. And D'Amico was exciting. I was worried about last night not living up to the hype. It lived beyond the hype that I thought it would be. And they're getting universal praise, something they haven't received 
since they unveiled their red helmets. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> red helmets, D'Amico <laughs> Ryans, big trades up to get Will Anderson. We love that. And CJ Stroud. Uh, all right, we're done. Uh, Figgy Fig, good job getting the podcast out to all the people. We appreciate you. We appreciate all of you subscribing. We hope you're enjoying it. This is one of the most important weeks in the history of the team, and we appreciate you coming along for the ride. Click the subscribe button so you stick with us throughout the spring and summer months as the team starts to get into the actual football part of the calendar. We appreciate you doing that. For the Hall of Famer, John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. This is the Utopia Football Podcast. Enjoy the rest of Draft Weekend, everybody. We will see you next week.